This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everyone's having a good one today. Good show coming up. If you're having a bad day, I'm going to make it better. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. Sarah McClellan joins me here in just a little bit. Covers the Wild for the Star Tribune, of course. She will uh, help get set up a big game Thursday night. Wild finally gets to play again in Boston and the much-anticipated debuts likely to come for Matthew Boldy and Marco Rossi tonight uh, for the Wild, an injection of youth for a team that could use something different. You know, they've got a five-game losing streak, but as Sarah discussed, that five-game losing streak spans almost an entire calendar month because of how much time they've missed due to COVID. So, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting game Thursday night. Plenty of other news this week as well, and Sarah will help us break that down here in just a little bit. Also, we'll need to talk about the Timberwolves. Got into the winning column on Wednesday night, beat Oklahoma City. Kind of a ragged game. We'll hear some post-game comments from Chris Finch, but a win is a win nonetheless. 98-90, to good defense in that one, and that has carried them in certain portions of the season and Aaron Rodgers responds to the MVP voter who called him a jerk and said he wouldn't vote for him. Interesting war of words developing there. But first, what did I miss? Well, it was the storyline that followed the Vikings for pretty much the entire season. COVID wreaking havoc on their roster. They entered the year at a certain point with one of the lowest vaccination rates in the NFL. And I don't think it was any coincidence that they wound up with some of the biggest impacts from COVID in the entire NFL. And the highest profile case of that, of course, was Kirk Cousins, their quarterback, who, you know, we knew from the way he'd answered questions and um, the behaviors and, and, and whatnot on the sideline that he was not vaccinated and wondering if that was going to become an issue at some point during the season became even more tenuous as this new variant took hold of the league and more and more players were testing positive. Felt like only a matter of time before he might be exposed and unfortunately contract COVID-19. And, you know, worst case scenario came true. Ends up missing that Green Bay game last Sunday. Vikings lose 37-10, eliminated from the playoffs. On Wednesday, we heard from Kirk Cousins for the first time since he was put on the COVID list. Back now, uh, available to play. Sounds like he will start the finale against Chicago. So, you know, local reporters got a chance to ask Kirk Cousins questions on Wednesday. And if you were expecting any sort of level of, you know, contrition, any sort of level of uh, self awareness, maybe uh, feeling bad about missing that game, I don't think we got that from Kirk Cousins. Maybe he does feel that way, but I don't think we got that from his words on Wednesday. So I want to play a few clips from that, just kind of with a few of my thoughts mixed in. You know, <clears throat> first off, here is Cousins on having to sit out what proved to be the elimination game in this 2021 season. Yeah, I just had mild symptoms and, um, uh, you know, watched on TV as, as we've all had to do, those, those that have tested positive throughout the season, coaches and players alike. Uh, it's a unique time we're in and, um, you know, just having my call sheet out in front of me watching the game and, and uh, still trying to stay as engaged as I could. You know, I just watched and uh, tried to be as supportive as I could leading up to the game through the rest of Friday and Saturday and, and during the day on Sunday. And I uh, was just pulling so hard for, uh, for my teammates. And, um, and then, uh, 
you know, it was, uh, you know, good, good to be back with him today for the first time in five days. Now listen, I'm not Kirk Cousins. I don't know how he really feels. If it was me, though, and I was the quarterback and I had missed a game that was the, my, my team's last chance to make the playoffs. And again, this is not all on Kirk Cousins. Other players have missed other games this year. Other factors have certainly contributed to this season. Everything from maybe some in-game, um, you know, in-game strategic problems from head coach Mike Zimmer and you know some of his coordinators to the roster construction from GM Rick Spielman. But when you, if if we're talking about what just happened right now and a player missing a game, as his teammates have done, like I said earlier in the season, um, the absolute biggest game at the absolute biggest moment, he was not available for that. If that was me, I would feel awful. I would not be, you know, spouting out the company line about supporting my teammates. I would I would own up to the fact that that one was on me. Um, maybe that's how he feels, but he doesn't want to express that. I don't know, but I was a little... I was left wanting more from that answer. Now, here is Cousins talking about the upcoming Bears game, again, which I believe he will start. You know, I think it's really, for us, as important as, as uh, any football game we have. You only get so many opportunities. You want to always, when you step between the white lines, put um, a great product out there and uh, play hard for your teammates, play hard for your coaches, play hard for one another. And... Um, you know, it's our it's our last opportunity this season. When you think back on all the workouts, all the uh, stuff you do, you know, talking about watching tape in the off season and going through your own individual workouts and getting together with teammates and then OTAs and training camp. There's just so much that goes into it. Um, you know, when you only get 17 guaranteed opportunities, you don't ever take one for granted. I actually feel the opposite. It's the least important game they will play. It's not as important as any other game. They will play. I understand the idea of you only get so many opportunities to play if you're a competitor. That part is true, but this game is in the in any kind of context of meaning is completely meaningless. Aside from sixty minutes of exercise and you know just maybe ending the year on a slightly more positive note um, than than, it, than if you lost this game. So you know I'm sure he was relieved to answer any questions about the Bears, but let's not pretend that this game has any sort of real meaning. And finally, here is Cousins on you know, how he was feeling and whether he thought that his vaccination status impacted you know, what went on last week. In my instance, it wouldn't have mattered just because I had mild symptoms. They don't want you playing the game with COVID. I would have tested positive regardless. So um, in, in my case, it, it, didn't, it didn't make a, a big difference. Now, on the on the broader point, Cousins is correct. If he was vaccinated and had symptoms, he still would have missed that game. However, um, if he was vaccinated, he might not have been tested as frequently, might not have found out about it. And if he was vaccinated, as all the data shows, he would have had a less likely chance of catching it, even though, as we know, many vaccinated players, many vaccinated people right now are still getting breakthrough cases. He still would have had a better chance of not getting it had he been vaccinated. So, you know, we're not going to sit here and relitigate every single choice Kirk Cousins made this season. But from this one news conference, from this one session with reporters, I was certainly left wanting more. And maybe that is the theme of the 2021 Vikings. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. 
follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Sarah McClellan from the Star Tribune joins me right now, covers the wild. Of course, you sure you've read her stuff. Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. We're hanging in there. We're you're in Boston right now. We're in Minneapolis, where we got some snow. It's cold. Uh, it's you know it's winter. It's January. I'm sure it's like that everywhere though. So we'll we'll be we'll be fine. Um, the Wild not so fine right now. Last game they played was even colder than it is right now. Uh, the Winter Classic and. It's, you know, it's been a struggle for them lately. I want to get to some of the excitement of, you know, a couple of call-ups with, with Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi coming up in a minute. But first, I feel like we need to address just this five-game losing streak that feels like it's spanned about four months because it seems like they haven't played for, you know, played consistently for a while. Like, how much of this do you attribute to absences and, you know, other things? And how much do you attribute to, you know, schedule, poor play. How do you kind of put a finger on a five-game losing streak that has taken on this form? Yeah, it certainly looks like a bunch of factors at play. The schedule being one of those, like you mentioned, it's a five-game losing streak, but it dates back to (laughs) mid-December. It's been a while. And so to think that the team has played just five times since that losing streak started in Los Angeles on December 11th, that's not the usual rhythm that a season has and that the wild is used to. So I think, you know, obviously you ask, where's the urgency? How, how do you climb your way out of this? But I I'd imagine it's probably tough to find that when there's one game, if that a week on the schedule right now, just that stop and start rhythm uh, just doesn't seem like it's conducive to a team that's looking to find momentum in a positive direction right now. Um, You know, so much is made about, you know, building one game at a time and just kind of taking that stairway of progress from one game to the next. And it just looks very challenging to do that right now with how uh, the the schedule is broken up with these lengthy layoffs in between games. Having said that the wild isn't using that as an excuse. There are plenty of other teams that are dealing with similar situations uh, around the league due to the postponements as a result of COVID-19 impacting the league but that's just the reality right now when you look at the five game losing streak it's it's what they're dealing with uh some key absences as well in the lineup injuries are piling up um captain jared spurgeon joel erickson Eck, cam talbot um now nick Bude said being unavailable and jordan greenway is in COVID protocol right now as well so um, just kind of a combination of factors right now for the team working against it amid this slide, amid the worst stretch of the season. And I think when you kind of look at that picture, uh, it makes sense why the team, you know, could be obviously looking for a spark in recalling some prized prospects in Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi and have them on deck to, you know, what looks like make their NHL debut Thursday against Boston. And, you know, in listening to Dean Evison, I don't know if that was Tuesday that he talked. I'm trying to remember when that was earlier in the week anyway. Doesn't sound like they're just here to spectate or play on the third, fourth line. I mean, they're going to, you know, if they're in the lineup, they are these these are high end guys that should get potentially power play time that should get, you know, top, you know, top nine forward roles. Right. You know, this isn't they're not coming in here just to um, provide depth, as, as you would say. Right. 
Correct. And it's, it's what the wild needs. The wild needs that type of boost, obviously to, you know, the prominent part of its lineup. Um, you know, it's forward group, uh, the go-to lines, you know, as evidenced by Marco Rossi centering Kevin Fiala and Marcus Foligno, um, in practice when he got a skate in earlier this week after being recalled. Uh, but it also speaks to, you know, the ability of these players. These are first round draft picks, um, highly touted prospects. Uh, and these are the roles that they have played to get to this point. Um, so it makes sense to put them in that spot to give him, to give them that opportunity. And it's a team, like I said, that can use that. These are players that are going to be played on a power play that's been in a woeful stretch, obviously needing to find some type of solution. So it makes sense. Why not? Um, so, I, you know, I, I think. It's been obviously a patient process to get these prospects here. The organization has been very clear that they're not going to be rushed. Their development and what's best for that is at the forefront. But it certainly looks like, you know, now getting to this point where they are, you know, here, they have arrived with the wild. It does look like it is a combination of them being ready, putting the time in, in the minors with Iowa in the American Hockey League, but also the team perhaps needing them, needing a jolt, needing a spark, needing something to get out of this slump and maybe, you know, rediscover its identity from earlier in the season, because I think that's what stands out um, during this losing streak. The results, obviously, you know, the scores, some lopsided games, some games with plenty goals against, but it just doesn't look like the wild, you know, six, five, Uh, High-scoring games, those weren't out of the ordinary earlier in the season, but the Wild found a way to get on the other end of those games. Now losing them, it just doesn't look like this team is playing the way it did at the beginning of the season, and maybe a lineup shuffle like this can help the team snap back to its previous ways and, like I said, rediscover its identity. Seems to be a certain amount of pressure to put on you know, two young prospects when they come up into a situation that's probably less than ideal, but, you know, at a certain point, you're right. It's it probably is that combination of they've been playing well in, you know, in that lower league and, in, in, you know, in, in Iowa and the team kind of needs them right now, both from a depth standpoint and from a, you know, what they bring to the ice standpoint. So it's kind of an interesting combination at a, at a pretty pivotal point in their season. Like I, I, I still think this is a really good team. I don't think they, I don't think they're just going to lose. They're going to go and lose 10 more in a row, but you know, at a certain point you got to start winning again to feel good about yourself and to think, you, what you did in the first 25, 30 games wasn't some sort of mirage. Yeah, you're right. I think this turnaround point has to happen, you know, probably sooner rather than later. Um, with how the schedule has been scattered, you know, there aren't many opportunities on deck to turn this around. And so I, I think the longer this goes, the more worrisome it becomes. You know, the lead in the Central Division is gone. That seat atop the Western Conference is gone. And yes, it it is kind of tough to judge the landscape right now, the leaderboard across the NHL, even in the division, because teams are in different situations with how many games they've played, how many games they have postponed, uh, how many games obviously then need to be made up. Uh, But still, it, it does feel critical, and it does feel like this team is at a crossroads on the heels of the winter classic, um, you know, dealing with these injuries, dealing with these key absences, and then obviously this slump. Um, so obviously it's, it's an important time, I think for the organization too, and probably the fan base, it's an exciting time to see Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi arrive and, you know, we'll see what happens, but 
I think with how the schedule is kind of getting drawn out and uh, all these days in between games, and then there was obviously, you know, the hoopla that was the winter classic and that celebration, you know, maybe the big picture kind of gets glossed over, but I think when you take a look at it and what's at stake, um, you know, fast forward a few months from now, this might be a, a huge turning point for the wild and how the team responds. I want to get to goaltending point to finish this segment, um, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention quickly the kind of Victor Rask clerical move. It kind of seems like it was. Maybe they tried to you know, move him, move him through waivers, see if they could move him on to another team. That didn't happen. Sounds like it'll just be a situation where he's more or less a healthy scratch like he has been, so nothing too different there, but some some movement at least with him this week. Yeah, it's some flexibility because he can be moved to the taxi squad now. These taxi squads have been reintroduced. Obviously, they were a feature of last season during the shortened schedule, but more recently uh, adopted back in with, you know, all the issues that have been going on around the league with COVID-19. So he has that possibility. That sounds like the plan to eventually get him onto the taxi squad. And he's been in and out of the lineup um, this season, kind of much like going back in his tenure here with the Wild. So we'll see. You know, we know right now that Boldy and Rossi are getting this game Thursday in Boston. Um, and obviously we'll see what happens after that. Jordan Greenway becomes available eventually out of the COVID protocols and if the team gets healthy after that as well. Speaking of getting the game, Kakinen scheduled to start Thursday for the Wild. Has performed reasonably well this year when needed, um, but Cam Talbot out. Obviously that is their number one goalie. You know, Kapanen had a great run. Last year when Talbot had to miss, I don't know if it was seven, eight games in a row, something like that, Kakanen kind of got on a roll. Um, can't necessarily plan for that or expect that, but he he has shown he's a capable backup. But, you know, we don't know how long Cam Talbot's out at, at this point, but that's a pretty significant kind of injury hanging over their head right now, right? And is it lower or upper body? I, I know I'm, I got a 50% chance if I guess, but I can't remember which one it is. It's a lower body injury suffered from the Winter Classic. And, you know, you look back at that game and at the time it might've looked like he was getting pulled at a six, two game at the time after two periods, but that wasn't the case. He left due to injury, um, you know, and Kakinen obviously came into the third and replaced him. Didn't give up a goal. And you're right. He's been steady. I, you know, I even think his last start, which was the beginning of the losing streak, that loss in LA two to one on December 11th. I think though, that was probably the best that he's looked this season. He had 35 saves and it was a loss, but it wasn't indicative of his performance. So he comes in, it's a position, like you said, that he's been in before where he's kind of come in and had to be the starter. Uh, you mentioned that 9-0 run that he went on last season. Earlier in the season last year as well, he he took over the crease for, for a little bit as well. So it's not a new situation for him, but big picture, obviously, though, this was a team that last season when rolling had both goalies engaged. So uh, Talbot's status is obviously key for this team, especially moving forward. Um, since he's arrived, he's obviously been such a steady and calming presence in net that as much as we think now of the Wild as a high-scoring, offensive-minded team, it's still a team that is built from its back end out. And that tone really is set by the goaltender and, and you know, more often than not, Talbot when he plays. So a key position, a key situation to watch moving forward. But obviously there is a track record there with Kakinen that he's been able to step up in a situation like this and give the wild quality minutes. And 
that's obviously the opportunity he has again now. It'll be a little bit of a glimpse into the future Thursday, I guess, with Kakinen starting. You could see him potentially being a number one down the road, depending on how they feel about him. And obviously Boldy and Rossi as well. You know, they're going to need to lean on those guys as the years go on. And as we talked about ad nauseum with, you know, the future implications of the Parisian suitor buyouts, like those are the kinds of contracts they're going to need to, uh, to carry them through in future years. And as it turns out Thursday and going forward. The future is now. <laughs> the future is now. It's always That's tomorrow. Slogan. I love it. Well, Sarah, good stuff. Enjoy Boston. And we'll do this again soon. All right. Sounds good. Take care. Good catching up with Sarah as always. Just a weird year for the wild. Hopefully they can get some sort of kind of consistency and continuity going again, because that was a special start to the year. And you don't want to see that kind of dashed because of, you know, some internal but some external factors. Let's talk Timberwolves here for a little while. Had Chris Hine on Wednesday's show, beat writer for the Star Tribune, to talk a little bit about, you know, just the storm that the team seemed to have weathered, if we may borrow a cliche, and whether, you know, they might be able to get on a little bit of a roll with some of the schedule they had coming up. They did start that on Wednesday had a 98-90 to 90 win over Oklahoma City. The Thunder, you know, one of the bottom teams in the West. And it was one of those t- one of those games that could have gotten out of hand early. The Wolves seemed like they were on their way to a lopsided win. And then, you know, the NBA is kind of one of those leagues where games, you know, even against inferior opponents, tend to get close. And that was kind of the theme of Chris Finch's post-game comments. Let's hear a little bit from him right now. Yeah, I would think it was, you know, one of those typical games where you start well and lose focus. Um, and then when you lose focus, you lose intensity and purpose. And that's what happened. And this team plays really, really hard. And they compete on every facet of the game. And they beat us in the effort categories, the transition and the offensive rebounds. I think they had 40 points between those two. That's almost half of their points total. And, you know, that's not really, um, you know, acceptable for us. We, we We're not... And we let ourselves down there, but, you know, we did rally to, to win the game. That seems like a good assessment from what I watched of the game. And, you know, but still an important win, you know, got Carl Anthony Towns, got, you know, D'Angelo Russell back on the court. They were able to overcome, you know, some poor shooting. They only shot 12 of 44 from three-point range, just 27%. A lot of that was Russell in his return being rusty, 0 of 5. Malik Beasley, 0 of 7 from three-point range in that game so you know able to overcome some offensive woes some some problems but by and large the, the starting lineup back uh, they're the preferred starting five finally back together again after a lot of COVID interruptions over the last few weeks another good game from Jalen Noel six of six off the bench for 16 points um, three rebounds three assists he is really emerging as you know a guy you want in your rotation and you know just like I said, big picture, being able to win this game, be able to not give it all back. It's a kind of game where, you know, if you lose it, it can really dent your season. You start to lose confidence. We've seen the Wolves in past years lose games like this, you know, and I think Towns being a year older, Russell being back, Patrick Beverly having that kind of steadying influence like Chris Hine and I talked about the other day, those sorts of things kind of kept this game from getting out of hand in the wrong direction. The Wolves end up pulling it out and getting the win. And now, like Chris and I talked about the other day too, now they get you know Oklahoma City again uh, tomorrow night. And then 
you know, an easier stretch of schedule with Houston and New Orleans also on the docket in the next few days. So chance to maybe get to 500 and over 500. They're 18 and 20 right now. And, you know, looking to be in decent shape in the Western Conference this season. Let's finish with the cooler, a war of words. You know, Aaron Rodgers seems to have taken the bait when, you know, talking about, we talked about this on Wednesday's show, the MVP voter from Chicago, Habarkish, who said, you know, he would not vote for Aaron Rodgers for MVP because he considers him, quote, the biggest jerk in the league and a bad guy. And we laid out the reasons that, that Hub thinks that on on uh, on Wednesday's show. Well, uh, Rodgers was asked about it on Wednesday, and he did not mince words. He said, I think he's a bum. I think he's an absolute bum. He doesn't know me. I don't know who he is. No one knew who he was probably until yesterday's comments. Um, He said, his problem isn't with me being a bad guy or the biggest jerk in the league. He doesn't know me. Um, So thinks that he should be excluded from future MVP votes. And basically, Rogers said his problem is I'm not vaccinated. So if he wants to go on a crusade and collude and come up with an extra letter to put on the award just for this season and make it the most valuable vaccinated player, then he should do that. But he's a bum, and I'm not going to waste my time worrying about that stuff. He has no idea who I am. He never talked to me in my life. Uh, A couple things on this. First, uh, seems that Rogers is wasting some of his time worrying about this stuff if he's got this uh, comment prepared about all of this. Um, And so uh, Rogers has extremely thin skin. I think we all know that after enough years of seeing him covered, seeing him, you know, respond in certain ways to certain things this has to be bothering him um and the second thing is um maybe kind of proving some of what Arkish says with his own comments but certainly within his right to fire back makes for good interesting writing makes for good interesting podcasting and I'm guessing this story kind of dies here but maybe um you know when we see the results of the MVP vote we'll know exactly the extent of how far this actually did end up going. That will do it for today's show. Marcus Fuller covers Gophers men's basketball and basketball across Minnesota, as we know because of what Marcus has done over the years and because of this new feature column that debuted in Thursday's Star Tribune, startribune.com. Um, just some good storytelling from Marcus, really exploring and showcasing his knowledge of Minnesota basketball. So you want to check that out, and you'll certainly want to listen to Friday's show for some good insights on the Gophers and Minnesota basketball in general. Also, we'll have Mark Craig on Friday's show, final NFL picks segment of the year, week 17, 18 now, I guess, the final uh, the final week of the NFL season is always hard to predict, so I'll be interested to hear what Mark has to say about some of these games that don't really have implications, even if Kirk Cousins would like them to. We'll be back at it Friday. Thanks for joining me here today. I'm Michael Rand. See you later.